Hey guys, Dane here with the Darkroom Podcast. In today's episode, I chat with Mark Barros. Mark is the founder of Moment, a massive mobile gear company. They also do products like gear bags and pouches and anamorphic lenses and just a really incredible lineup of everything for mobile photography and even more than that, including trips that are now being launched where you can go hang out, shoot, and learn from your favorite photographers in the coolest locations in the world. Mark talks about that as well as how he got started with Moment. He also touches upon what Moment is up to now, how Moment started, how he started, and what it's like to be in his shoes. And he is a very cool dude. Part of me feels like he's the Batman of the creative world. There's a Bruce Wayne S to him, and I could be wrong about that, but I'm telling you, Mark, you got this Batman thing going, man. Um, but anyways, all right, guys, sit back, relax, or run, or do whatever you're doing listening to this. Without further ado, here is a conversation with Mark Barros. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. Hey guys, Dane here with the Dark Room Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Today I'm talking to Mark Barros, co-founder of Moment, a man that can take an idea and turn it into a multi-million dollar company. Mark Thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, you're up in Washington right now, right? Live in Seattle. Seattle. Nice, dude. Uh, so recently I saw that you were in, was it Zion? Yeah, we last team offsite. We basically take the team offsite every four months. It's a way to keep the team reconnected and work on things. So this is our first kind of go outside of Washington. But yeah, hit up Zion National Park. Amazing place. Yeah, have you, uh, had you been there before? Was that your first time? That's first time for me. I've been around like Bryce Canyon. People have gone over that direction. Just amazing little canyons and hikes and day hikes. You can kind of get lost over there for a few days at a time for sure. Yeah, it's unreal. And, you know, it's, it's, I feel like the pictures that I see on my feed all day are from places like that up north. So it's, it's brutal to be so far down in Los Angeles. But we have, we have some, some stuff out here. Yosemite is beautiful. And, you know, there's some good stuff on this side. Uh, what, what does your travel schedule look like? Are you are you traveling all the time? Are you doing a lot of these trips or are you just going on a few? The uh, travel is like non-existent for me. I have three little kids. Between moment three little kids. Yeah. Like going to the grocery store is a big deal. Like getting out of that. Yeah, for <laughs> getting sure. Getting out of that. <laughs> what uh how old are your kids? They're one, three, and five. Oh man, you got the golden years. Yeah, the running joke is the five-year-old is the same age as moment. So the running joke is moment is basically a five-year-old, like a toddler. So yeah, for sure. That's funny. Pretty similar. Yeah. You can kind of, you can always have an idea of how old uh, your kids are based off of when you started companies. Uh, yeah. So, so speaking of moment, if you want to just kind of jump in to, to at least just the start of it, I know we're going to kind of bounce around a bit. Um, but just so people who haven't, if they haven't heard of moment, just kind of what, what moment's all about. Yeah, Moment, uh, think of it as a marketplace for photography and travel. And so really what we have is products. Those products are like phone accessories, cases, lenses. The gear makes your phone a better camera. Then we have a pro camera app. It's for more of your prosumer, photographer, filmmaker to shoot manual on the phone. And then we have these amazing new photography trips that are kind of 
all about travel where you go to these epic places like Iceland, Norway, Hong Kong with our photography guides and spend three to seven days hanging out and learning photography and discovering new places. So you've got gear apps and travel. Did, uh, did the trips start recently or have those been going on for a long time? The trips are brand new. So each kind of new thing you do, you, you kind of restarted almost like a startup. So mm-hmm. we found as our customers were traveling with a camera, they're really coming to moment and buying our products originally because they were going to take a trip. And we started asking what kind of trip and where are you going? And what? And we started to realize that they're similar to a lot of people in the company as you go for these little trips. And they're usually three to seven days to go discover new places, bring your camera. And so last year we did you know a couple beta trips. We went to Alaska, kind of hand did them, learned a bunch. So this year we said, hey, why don't we try actually doing these trips for real? And so we took one person on the team and moved her over to this little travel team of one, kind of like how Moment started. Put up the first Southwest trips, learned a bunch, already kind of pivoted to what you're seeing now. So now we kind of drop a new trip about once every two weeks. Um, We use some crowdfunding mechanics. So the four people commit and the trip is a go and then we make it happen. We kind of found in the first trips the you don't know if people want it. It's almost like a product. You don't know if people are going to want that experience. And yeah. so originally, first trips we did were like, it took us a few months to organize it, figure out the itinerary, where to go. We realized that actually we don't know if people even want this thing. And so now we basically build the itinerary, launch the trip, figure out if there's customers. And if there is, then we finish all the details to make it a go. Yeah. And it sounds like feedback has been pretty positive. Everyone's digging it. Yeah, feedback's positive. It's a whole new experience. I mean, you're used to selling gear that's you know thirty to a hundred dollars is kind of where Moment's gear is. Yeah. So these are two to three thousand dollar trips. So it's similar customer, but we're definitely learning a lot around customer and how to you know manage these and and communicate and what people are looking for. So in this first year, no different than like a new startup, you just learn a ton. You get humbled a lot where you think there's certain assumptions are going to work, don't work. Some things you get right, some things you get wrong. Yeah. Already, so <laughs> it's. It's humbling because, you know, usually if you start something and you get a little bit of scale, some customers, it's a little bit easier, different problems you solve. But going back to the beginning on a piece of paper with a new idea is just painful. It's a lot of work. No, for sure. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's kind of, it kind of sounds like you get to do market research throughout the entire process, right? Like I'm sure some ideas and, and, you know, even some gear has come from people being like, man, like I really wish that this could happen or I could have this accessible. And you're like, oh, you know what? That's kind of our whole deal. So let's get that made. Yeah, we use what's called the customer journey. What we look at is before, during, and after people take pictures. What you do over time is you kind of map that on a wall. And it ends up serving for like 10 years to really build it all. What you kind of realize is that before people took pictures, they were researching and going and traveling and carrying gear. And you realize, oh, okay. So between content or trips or the marketplace, we're able to serve that need and, and the way people are solving the problem before they take pictures. You know, during capture is a lot of the gear that we make. So you make products that make capture easier. But yeah, we use these customer journeys to help us understand what people do before, during, and after taking pictures. And over time, you figure out products or solutions um, to solve each of those problems. Nice, man. How do you, how do you guys figure out where these trips are going to be? Do you have kind of a say in that or is it just like the popular, the popular vote? It's interesting as you found just been launching the trips is that it was really about the guide. Like people were really stoked that, you know, Tyson Wheatley wants to go to Hong Kong. And so if I trust Tyson and follow Tyson, I'm going to go with Tyson. And so at first we were kind of building the trips ourselves as moment and then realized that, wow, we haven't done travel. People don't trust us for travel. And so we're actually just starting with the guide. So we focus on amazing photography guys many we've worked with before with our gear they 
you know, they've usually been to these places, but they build a trip they've always wanted to take. So Tyson's got a Hong Kong trip. He's, you know, he's been to Hong Kong a ton. That guy knows the spots, where to go, what to shoot. So he built an itinerary of his kind of favorite places to go. We worked on that with him and then launched it and sold the trip within a few days. So I was like, okay, let's go work on now the details to make the trip happen. Yeah. And, and do you ever reach out to photographers or creators that you want to be involved on these trips that you don't know, or is it, do you know everybody on the team by now? And is that kind of who you stick to? No, all the above. It's kind of, it's not kind of like a sales funnel where you try to meet as many of these photographers and creatives. We're getting better at now. We've launched about 10 of these trips where we're figuring out, you know, with the right fit. It's not always biggest scale. It's often the photographers that have a really engaged audience. You can see that they've either taught workshops or taught before, or they're maybe publishing posts on teaching. But that intersection of teaching and travel and personality, we're finding that's what matters the most. So like Chris Koenig sold the most trips. He sold out three weeks to Iceland. Wow. He's got a good following base that's engaged. He doesn't have like 500,000. I think he's got more like fifteen or 20,000 followers. So people love Chris and he's very thorough. And so I think for us on the right photography guide, we're learning and just trying to get that intersection. But there's something there around the travel and the teaching and the personality. Yeah. And so you said 10 trips now. So out of those 10 trips, there has to be a crazy story or situation. Right? We haven't run them yet. Well, they're basically all coming. That's uh, the thing with travel is people want to book oh, three to nine months out. Yeah, for sure. So like the yeah. first ones are coming later this year. And then most of them are in 2019. So we started earlier. Like the first trips were only a couple months out. And realized, oh, wow, that's not enough time. People take four months to buy a trip. So yeah. I'll have a lot of stories early next year. <laughs> you got to be careful because everyone wants to get someone to stand on a cliff edge, you know, especially like out in the Faroe Islands. So, so just make sure that people have like a leash on just in case. Yes. Uh, so, so, you know, where moment started and where it, you know, has gone over the years and where it is now, like what, what are some other things that have kind of changed and, and gotten recrafted over the years, if there are any? You just get more refined. So you, in the beginning, the whole thing is a thesis. You have no idea if anybody cares. Like, does anybody want what you're doing? Are there more people like you? So yeah. usually you start with just your own problem and and a tribe of people that you think are like you. So our own problem early on was, you know, we using our phones more and more and missed traditional photography. So we just picked an elemental lens. And then you put it up on Kickstarter to figure out there's a market. And we sold it on $500,000. Like, okay, so there's more than us, just the four of us that care. Yeah, for and sure. so that's how you start. And so in the first three, four years, you just try to figure out who the customer is. And you have no idea who they are, where they came from, what works. So it's just a lot of experimentation. Should I do events or sampling or sponsor or give away free free gear? Right. And so you know, we take a very minimal, don't raise much money, kind of build it you know, customer by customer. But yeah, in this first three or four years, it's just a ton of work. You're just trying to figure out what works because you really have no idea. Yeah. What what sparked the interest? Because, you know, five years ago, that was really around the time that Instagram like didn't start, but that like really took off and people were actually really caring about, you know, their photos. Is that kind of a correlation with the, the start of the company? Yeah, you usually go back to like, what are you most passionate about? And there was a few ideas that we started off with. And one that we realized we were all into photography and using our phones and our cameras. And so you just look around that space and you kind of say, all right, what do people do before, during, and after taking pictures and right. what problems most interesting? So yeah, you try to get a group that is passionate about the same problem set. A problem set for us was, you know, using our phone as a camera is how it started. And then over the first four or five years, we've learned, oh, our customers are pretty much traveling with a camera. Yeah. So it allows us to broaden the set of, okay, what are all the problems 
from traveling to photography that our customers have and how would we solve those? Yeah. And is it, is it kind of wild to, uh, to kind of, I guess, have to react off of what phones are doing, right? Because essentially, you know, every year, probably, probably less than that, you guys have to sit down, I'm sure, and be like, all right, like this phone came out, these features are coming out. How can we put our own spin on it? It's an area that is the hardest part with the phone accessories. We have to get better at it. But what you find over time is, yeah, if we're an accessory to the phone, or in this case now, we're, we're an accessory also like gimbals. When gimbals come out, we have counterweights, things like that. Yeah. You have to you have to be there. And at first, when the product came out, we'd be six or nine months behind. And then within four months and within three months. And so now we're in a couple of programs. So in, you know, we're in Made for Google. We're in a Samsung program. So those devices we can support more. Apple's definitely the hardest because as soon as that comes out, we get the phone like everybody else. Yeah, for sure. Finish the engineering and start the tooling. So that is one of the biggest challenges is just being there and people get their phone. We've gotten better, but it's still hard. And uh, how how hands-on are you with the with the hardware and the engineering side of it? Pretty hands-on. I mean, we you can organize a group however you want. We kind of organize it based on you know, what do we have to be great at. Yeah. So product was the core. So in the beginning, there was three people on the product team, and then there was me. And I was trying to figure out the other side of who's the customer and how do we get one. And you start to kind of add piece by piece. So, yeah, the product team, in a sense, has two groups, a group that does the apps and a group that does the physical products. Um, there's a great leader for each. And, you know, I try to help as much as I can with just as a user. I think the hardest thing to do is you scale is you forget what it's like to use your stuff for the first time. Yeah, for sure. So that beginner's mind, you know, trying every time you try a version of the app or a piece of product is going back to, wait a second, I've never used this before. I've never heard a moment. How does this work? <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's just a skill set that takes a lot of practice to get good at. But that's probably the biggest thing is however you stack your product team, whether you're doing the products or you got a team doing the product, is just getting good at that, which is, wait, this doesn't make sense. I'm confused. Yeah. In the beginning, you know, were there any failures that kind of helped let you guys realize like how you should be doing it and who should delegate what and who should be doing what? Or was it always kind of a smooth process? No, you, it's kind of like a... That's an analogy used for like sports teams. And so I think if you look at like the best teams and best coaches, mm -hmm. they develop a philosophy how they like to play, how they like to win, how a team likes to work together. Right, yeah. So early on, we, we tried to develop that. This one's my second startup. So I learned a bunch in the first that makes the second a little bit easier around what's our cadence and how do we communicate and what's important to us. And so early on, even though the team was small, you try to have kind of those same processes for you know, when do we have a daily standup? When do we, you know, what's our weekly cadence, et cetera. So I think that's got, that foundation makes it easier for as you start to build teams. Like, all right, there's someone in charge of product now and they've got to focus on understanding the customer needs to shipping a product. Yeah. And so this one is my second one. I think in the first time you do a company, you have no idea what you're doing across the board. So you're both trying to solve the problem for the customer, but you're also trying to solve your organizational problem. Yeah, How do I sure. organize the people? Where do I find this person? How do I... And I think in the first or second company you do, you just, you learn all that. And yeah. so later that part becomes a little bit easier. And uh, that's uh, Contour, right? Yeah, first one I did was Contour cameras. The best way to explain it is everyone's heard of a GoPro. You just say yes, and it's like, yeah, we were the other guys. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, I want to jump back before that, but while we're on it, when you were, was there a time when you were competing with GoPro or did they come out after? We basically started about the same time. So, I mean, Nick okay. Story was a surfer. I was a skier. Uh -huh. That was also a second company. He bankrupted the first one. So he learned a bunch. 
So I think from a market advantage point of view, he just understood better that when you have kind of two startups start at the same time, there is one winner. There's like, it's not like Pepsi and Coke. And so if you lose, everybody justifies, oh, there's a Pepsi and a Coke and everybody wants a Pepsi and a Coke. But you realize at the end of the day that number one gets all the advantages. So I think most painful is losing to another startup because if they're out competing you, it's different than if you try to make a little new company against some big companies. So they were competing against Canon. That's very different than competing against the GoPro because they were as innovative and as fast as we were. Yeah. But yeah, they, they just beat the shit out of us when it came to winning the market. Like we thought, oh, best product wins. Yeah. Capture can, you know, convince people. So everything was very functional. The name was functional. Our approach was functional. It was explain, explain kind of function. Right. And they just proved to us that it was all about capturing hearts. And they did that well. I mean, they took action video and just captured the essence of it. And they sold you a camera instead of a can of sugar water like Red Bull. But they just beat the shit out of us. Yeah, I was just going to bring up Red Bull because essentially, right, they kind of did the same model. It's, they did it with surfers and they did it with, you know, snowboarders and and all that. What What was it like being a captain of a ship where you can see the competition right next to you and you can, you know, like you see everything going on. What's it, what's it like, like trying to save that ship when, when you really don't know what's going to happen? It all depends on the people around you. I mean, at the end of the day, if you have raised money, the answer is very different. So we had raised some money. And so at the end of the day, I talk about being a founder versus a CEO. They're two very different things, very different skill sets you know, what you need to survive as a founder is different than being a CEO. But if you ever take someone's money, then you have a job. Like your job is to be the CEO and your job is to get a team to deliver. Um, and so I think I just didn't understand that line. And so you're just running it like a founder, not a CEO. And I think the hard part is from a CEO, it's, it's non-emotional, which is, okay, we've taken some money. We're trying to win a customer segment. We're trying to either get this thing profitable or of value to somebody. And if you're on that path, then you have to get there. Like, there's, it's a cliff. <laughs> yeah. And so if you're losing, you have to have a very clear, like, okay, either we have to win. So you have to have a path to win, which is maybe raise a bunch more money or have a unique market angle that they don't have or some way that you're number one. If not, then, yeah, you have to change your strategy to be number two. And usually number two, you have to be smaller. Right. Uh, because number two has less advantage. So, I mean, I learned all this afterwards, but I think the challenge was in first company, it's hard to get amazing people that have built things before on your team and yeah. around the table and in your investor set. And so not having that, it makes it even harder. So if you don't have kind of tier one that you, know, you trust and trust you is going to help you get there, you get a lot of people arguing over their money. And at the end of the day, it's not pretty. Yeah. How did, how did uh, that experience craft how you got investors for moment? I think what you realize is that the, each group you add I mean, it's a long-term relationship. Yeah. I think not enough time is spent on, you spend a bunch of time on kind of your co-founder and who you're going to start this with. You spend a lot of time on who you're going to marry, hopefully. Like you spend some time actually <laughs> dating and getting to know and figure if it's a fit. For sure. And I think a lot of times you don't spend that on the investor side. And I right. think a lot of times the unfortunate part is the way the investors work is it's all about pitches and they're trying to see so many deals that they too don't really, you, you very rarely see them reach out and be like, hey, I don't, you seem like an interesting entrepreneur. I don't really know what you're working on. I just love to get to know you. So as you build companies, maybe I'll be someone that supports you. Definitely. That's, that is the kind of conversation you want. So often with investors, I tell people, build a list of who you think is really interesting and then just get to know them. And the best way to get to know them is, Hey, I love your feedback. You know, maybe a year before you're thinking about it, say, Hey, here's, here's what I'm working on. Here's the problems I'm going, going, going through. 
uh, A and advice or B companies you've you've invested in that have solved this well. Like anyone that's able to talk to you through those problems or give you some ideas, usually is somebody you want around the table. Somebody that doesn't have any idea and doesn't have any companies that have been through that or people they can connect you with, that usually tells you right away. So ideally, you can ask questions and build a relationship before you need the money. And then when you're ready to raise the money, you've built a relationship that says, okay, I like this person, I trust this person, they can add some value. But if, you know, you can't fire an investor, but they can definitely fire you. <laughs> yeah. So when, uh, when you started, but like before college, cause you went to college, uh, in Washington, right? Washington state. Is that right? Uh, University of Washington. University yeah. of Washington. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so before, before that, did you grow up out there? Did you grow up in Washington? I grew up in Seattle. Yeah. Seattle. Uh, are you a Seahawks fan or do you not really watch football? Yeah, I watch football. Yeah. I'm far Brazilian, so it's usually the other football, but you know. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I don't know much about that football, but uh, <laughs> with the American football, I'm excited for the season to start soon. The Seahawks should be pretty good. Uh, so you grew up out there. What was, what was high school like? What were you getting into? Was it sports? Was it, was it photography then? Like what, what was it? A little bit of photography. Mom had an old Canon camera I used to play with. Nice. Um, it was film, obviously film back then. But yeah, it was really into soccer. So I think from a sports point of view, maybe it wasn't the fastest. So I was definitely the hardest working. So I think a lot of what I did as a kid playing sports kind of translated entrepreneurship. It's just consistency and a lot of work. And oftentimes the person willing to work the hardest and be on the field the longest, and the ball is eventually going to bounce their way. And so I think I've used that methodology with entrepreneurship as I don't really know all the answers or know the market. I, you know, I started as a 20 year old with zero experience. Yeah. We just worked really hard and kind of figured stuff out, put two and two together. And, um, that's generally my methodology as an entrepreneur. Did you get any of that from your parents? Not really. I mean, my, you know, dad worked at Boeing and, you know, mom worked at IBM. So, I mean, back, my family didn't have like serial entrepreneurs. You know, along the way, I would start like soccer camps or small things, but it wasn't really I got to University of Washington. They have an entrepreneurship program and just happened to like one of my roommates was in it and, and tried it out and kind of went from, you know, the accounting path my mom thought would be awesome to this. Yeah. Wow, you actually get to make something and make the rules. I think I just underestimated how creative I was or how much I liked the creativity of the making. Yeah. Um, were you were you tinkering with with gear and, and all that kind of fun stuff when you were younger or did that kind of come later in life? That came a little bit later. I think I, if the past, I, if I'd known about what it taken, was probably more of design, design thinking. I mean, I can't, I'm not, I can't visually design shit, but I love <laughs> the methodology behind it and the yeah. thinking and how it solves problems. And a lot of what we do at Moment is, is really from that. I mean, one of the co-founders is a designer. We kind of believe with consumer, you can win with design. And so the methodology for how you organize the problems and distill them and, and answer questions that you're trying to solve, to me, that's super interesting. Yeah. Although I can't draw a picture, that methodology <laughs> It's probably more applicable to me. Yeah. So were you were you trying to play soccer in college? Did you do that or did you quit Yeah, I played soccer. No, I played soccer in college. And then I quit by my senior year because I realized that there's no money in professional soccer. So it's like, all right, let me actually. Yeah. You just wait. Ten, year, ten years from now, it, that might not be the case. Well, ten, now no, you don't even go no, to college yeah. and run a professional. You send the kid to a youth program. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, actually we just, uh, LAFC just came out here in Los Angeles yeah. and, uh, I've been trying to get to a game, but it is insane. Apparently 
Like every everyone out here is pretty gun ho and, and they look pretty good. I think they're second right now. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know like what I, I just know what I hear, you know. But uh, I went to the stadium a month ago for a shoot actually, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So if you end up down here, you should definitely go to a, go to a game. Okay, good idea. Uh, so so what what was the first time that you kind of sat around and and thought that you could pursue a project or pursue a business idea or just something new like when was that uh probably never oh yeah <laughs> I, I well i mean i think unless you have parents that are entrepreneurs i mean you don't really hear about it right i mean it's not like as a kid that's celebrated where you're people are talking about oh my gosh then who's the next jeff bezos like most of the kids stuff as a kid is usually around being an athlete or musician or a celebrity right like you never really get this who are these people that start these companies and so i think I, didn't, I stumbled upon it when I got to college and there's an, an entrepreneurship program and the business plan competition. You could enter it and learn how to pitch a business. And it was just by pure luck that I started it. Yeah. I just kind of stumbled into it. And this kind of, it kind of kept going. You knew you wanted to start something. You just didn't know exactly I what. Actually had no, I actually had no idea. I mean, I was really going to, I studied accounting and thought, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't have a job before. So I don't know even what interest there would be right did yeah. my accounting internship i was like oh shit you sit in the room all day yeah no i can't do this <laughs> yeah no but yeah the, the entrepreneurship thing i realized that i mean at 20 like what do you have to, to lose like worst case you go home and live with your parents okay the food's free right yeah so i always tell people like start it when you're young because you there's nothing to lose it's much harder to start when you're 30 35 and you had a job and you have a car and a mortgage so you see a lot of people start companies when they're 20 a lot of people start when they're 55 because their kids are gone yeah so i'm a huge believer you just learn it a shitload in those first three four years worst case you start a company and it doesn't work out and you'll get a real job you've learned a ton in those first few years that carried with you so i think i, I got lucky in stumbling into that yeah looking back it's huge huge difference for me did you did you ever have a regular job or a, a normal job never never really had one no no so you you went to this entrepreneur class and did you did you meet certain people that kind of pulled you in a certain way or was it was it a teacher that kind of steered you in the right direction? No, there was, uh, there was, like I said, a roommate was doing a project in that business plan competition. And I said, sure, I'll help you guys. I'll join it. And we got third place and give you like 30 grand. And so five of us were sitting there going, oh, should we start this thing? Not yeah. start this thing? And by the end of the first summer, the number of five was down to three because two people got jobs. That was the smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's three of us and two of us realized we didn't like the other person. So two of us left and started what was contour. So, from the competition, I think the fact that there was actual money was the biggest difference where you could enter this competition and they give you 30 grand. It's like, oh, okay, let me, what's the worst case? We just tried this thing, you know, nothing really to lose. So I think that that was fortunate. I think if we had come out of college and there was like zero money, you had to start it, I think it would have been super hard because none of us had any money. During this time, were you writing at all? Because I know your blog is is pretty awesome and I know you've been doing it for a bit, but was this a thing that you picked up later? How long have you been doing that for? I didn't really start writing. Writing was like therapy after company one. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you use it as that, you know, as a tool it for that? It became therapy. Like yeah. there's a lot of stuff I wrote that will never come out, but yeah, I published some of it. I think in the time off was, you know, I spent 10 years building the first company. If someone said, would you start call, stop college and you start this? Are you going to do this for a decade? I've would been like, holy shit, let me think about this. So I think I, yeah. I didn't really step back because you don't know. So it just kind of kept going. Yeah, for but sure. I think you learn later on that building companies takes five to 10 years. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to spend five to 10 years on this? Like, am I interested enough in this? Right. And I just didn't realize that the first time. This time, much more careful. Like, all right, I spent a year thinking about what I want to work on. We take away a bunch of projects. 
out of those projects, you're looking for the right fit of the team, the market, like you need some of that luck. And so moment was like one of three little side projects we we're kind of doing. And like, it started, it just kind of worked. The four of us were a good fit. You know, we're using our phones. We had been in the camera space before, so we knew how to make the product pretty quickly. We, you know, so the, all those factors aligned to like, okay, let's actually try this. What, are you as transparent with, with, your people now, like on your blog, you know, you, you get into some really heavy topics and you're very, very transparent with starting a business and, and things to look sure. for, things not to look for. Is that how you approach, you know, being a co-founder now and a leader? Yeah. So the first company I was probably trying to be a player on the field and learning how to coach. I think this time around is much more like, all right, my job is to coach and get a team to play and teach them how to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately is I love people to leave moment and start companies. I've tried to set it up so they can learn as much as they can. Um, but yeah, everything's totally transparent, um, from the compensation model as a, as a formula based on levels. Everybody knows what level people are at. Like it's, everybody knows how much cash is in the bank to how much people get paid to, you know, what the last board meeting was. So yeah, it just depends on your philosophy, like the team you like to build. I prefer that method and try to, you know, we take a younger group and teach them how to play. But yeah, I think what gets lost is. People make all these important decisions in their regular life. They buy a house, they buy a car, they have families. And they get to the business world, and they don't know how to do any of those and make decisions. And so really try, try to teach the team like how to make decisions, how to think about it, how to solve problems. We have 30 people now. They generally, they're, we call them generalists, but yeah, we try to teach them the, the basics from not just like the craft, like design, but through to like, how do you make a product and decide what to make and you know service the customer. And so we try to make sure that people learn the whole, the whole gamut. Yeah, have you been able to to mentor any of these younger creatives and, and creators coming through the door at moment? Yeah, we've tried to. I mean, the, you know, you just look at where the team is at. The core team has definitely stayed together. You can see they've gotten better at what they do. You just try to make sure that when you start a company, you should start it knowing that eventually people leave. So I try to set it up assuming eventually they leave. So either the company is successful and they leave or it's sold and they leave or there's some end to the thing, right? People aren't yeah. here forever. So you try to set it up knowing that. So from the compensation model through to what you teach them, the fact that like there's no company email addresses or uses their own email. Because I found that when they leave, if they were Brian at moment, now they're known as Brian at moment forever. And <laughs> yeah. They're known as Brian. So Brian should have his own email. So yeah. you can do stuff like that. So people bring their own tools. They make they get paid. They work hard. And then they leave with their stuff. Nice, man. Are, are you still pretty inspired creatively with you know your own work and, and shooting and – even writing, like what, what are you trying to do on the side? Anything? Three kids. Yeah. Dude, I, I just got a dog six or uh, nine months ago and I'm like, I can't imagine three kids. The non-parents always, you know, yeah. relating to the parent or to the pet. It's like, they're not even close. Oh but, no. I, yeah, oh, I trust they, me. It's like me with soccer. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about, but I have a taste of it. And it, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, the young kids is, it does being a parent definitely makes you a better entrepreneur. You have more empathy pretty quickly, Yeah. but it is hard because you know, you want to hang out with these kids and before they're 14, they want to kick it with you. And after they're probably 12 or 13, they don't want anything to do with you. Right. So I think the conflict definitely is like, shit, I should just hang out with these kids and then do startups. So you don't have young kids. But at this point it's three little kids in the company. Uh, what do you think about crowdsourcing, uh, you know, like Kickstarters and, and just crowdfunding when it comes to startups, like what, what would you, you know, say to a young entrepreneur in his twenties, you know, trying to, trying to get something going? Twenties, I say it to everybody. Everybody, We're always yeah. trying to find the, yeah, it's always the, 
fastest path to cash because you just don't know what customers want. Like until you say it's fifty dollars, you have no idea if they're going to buy something, whether it's a service or a product yeah. or offering. Your friends will tell you all day long, but until it's like it's fifty bucks, you actually don't know. And so we, what we always do is we generally crowdfund our big big projects. We've done I think three or four Kickstarters now. Mm-hmm. The last one raised one point five million, and each one's gotten a little bit better. But what we do is we design engineer, maybe it takes three to four months to work on a project. And then we take it to the customer and say, all right, would you pay for this? We put yeah. a price with it. And if it do- if it bombs, then yeah, it's going to be embarrassing, but we'd rather bomb now and shut it down than yeah, the, not and yeah, actually exactly. go make it. And I mean, it's while you're small, each project can basically bankrupt you because by the time you make a new product, it's 50 grand to tool it. And then you've got to buy at least 5,000 of them. So like you're a couple hundred thousand dollars of cash just into the thing. So yeah. if customers don't want it. You're in a lot of trouble. Were there any troubles with that process for you guys going from a company that, you know, had investors early on and then doing this with just a few products? Was there any, any hiccups along that or was it, was it pretty seamless? No, making a new product is just hard. Whether you're doing it in the public or the private, it's just hard. But the fact that you crowdfund it, you're just more exposed because people can see your mistakes. Yeah. So if you're late, then that just creates more angst, more emails, more right now we've got a project that the latest one we did. You know, there's four products in it, for example. So we launched a collection. You know, two of them have shipped. A third one's about to ship. And the fourth is like shipping a little bit every week. But it's painful because people want their stuff and they want an update. And so it ends up adding more complexity to it. But we think all in it's worth it for us because it actually helps us validate how many to make and do people care. And, you know, you also have to learn how to market the product. You have to figure out before you launch it, like what messaging works and how do people think about it? Who's talking about it? So it actually makes you better at figuring out who the customer is. It's super easy to convince yourself you have an amazing product and and people are going to buy it. And the reality you find is that getting customers is way fucking harder than making the product. Yeah, (laughs) As hard as making the product is, getting a customer and learning how to get a customer and keep a customer and treat them right is just way harder. When it comes to marketing, are you guys putting these things in a ton of creators' hands? You know, I know I see it all the time. And Peter McKinnon, I know, is a huge name that that was talking about you guys for a bit as well. Is that kind of how you like to get your products out there by giving it to these creators that that are going to shoot anyways and, and and show them like how important and how useful these tools can be? Yeah, we've tried a lot of things. The people like Peter are amazing. So yeah. I think what's helped us have been a really interesting to see is just the rise of this. I mean, they were what you called YouTubers, but they're really not. I mean, they're full on creatives, right? The full on creatives were traditionally photographers, filmmakers. They had no social presence. And what you've seen now between Instagram and these vloggers is these are amazing creatives that do work for some of the biggest companies in the world who happen to be awesome at a blog on YouTube and have 2 million followers. So it's amazing. What's really changed just the last year, four years is that shift. And so mm-hmm. the fact that a Peter likes our products and works with us, that's huge. I mean, that's just, a lot of luck in there. So I wish you could say like, Oh yeah, that's our strategy. And yeah. you try to get the Peters of the world to use the product. But I mean, there's no guarantee of that. Like you'll send some product out and you hope they like it. Or you maybe go out and try to visit them or try to show them what you're doing. But you kind of find if you're authentic and you know, you're interested in supporting them and making them better, you can build relationships. And in those relationships, hopefully they promote and use your products or talk about them. Yeah. Um, we find as you just, make it a strategy and go out and expect stuff. It just never works. Like it's like press. Like there's no way to guarantee that a wire is going to cover it. <laughs> it takes a long time to get to know the wired editors and build trust and for them to cover it. And so it's the same thing with these influencers. One aspect definitely has helped that they've covered it. I mean, their following and loyalty is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall we found what works the best for us is basically content. So yeah, a quarter of the team is like, 
content team, filmmakers, writers, producing pretty much like gear reviews have worked well for us. And then like how to articles, people are really interested in learning more. So how to shoot, how to shoot on the phone, how to edit. And so we just try to share those tips, um, through a variety of types of content. Yeah. Are you, can you talk about the newest line for a bit and just, uh, get into to that? You said it's, there's four, four new, new items in that. Was the new line went up this morning. We basically launched the took all the core products and the women at moment redesigned them for females. So we launched wallet cases because they found they were carrying a wallet and their phone. Oh yeah. Um, launched a really cool wristlet, all leather for women, so it fits all you know. Living in the city fits everything in that little wristlet. So from a little power cable to their um, wallet to their phone. So that's actually the newest stuff just went up. Um, nice. The stuff we're best known for was back in April. We launched that filmmaker collection so that mm-hmm, included yeah. an anamorphic lens um a battery photography case for iphone 10 and some accessories but the people are most excited about the anamorphic lens yeah what was that what was that process like and the the build out for for that i'm sure it was a long one. Oh, that one shocked us like if you were to say that you know, i mean anamorphic is generally considered a niche lens on your regular cameras like very few oh, percent yeah. of people buy an anamorphic yeah for sure so if you're to say oh you're gonna launch the anamorphic lens and it's gonna outsell every other lens yeah. you made they're like, and oh, like, good yeah, luck. No, no, good luck. Yeah. yeah. So and that's like the stuff you can't predict. Like until you put it up, you would have no idea. So exactly. yeah, we got lucky that we were able to go to Toronto and guys like Peter McKinn, you mentioned, mm-hmm. used the gear and Maddie used the gear. Like all that stuff really helped. Um, good price, you know, try to make it a good price point for people help. But yeah, people were just stoked on it. I think they were stoked on a new tool they can use. We definitely see people spend money on those tools, whether it's a Visco set of tools for editing or the mm-hmm. gear we make. People seem really excited about a new tool that gives them kind of that letterbox style, super smooth video. And so I think we, uh, combinations seem to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, like you said, you know, getting those guys to to get it in their hands, those big creators, that's huge and that's everything. And, and you know, that gets everybody else pumped on it and people that necessarily, you know, can't afford a DSLR or they just don't have the space or the time for it. You know, like you guys are providing something for everybody to be able to create with, which is badass. What, uh, what's next? Like what, what's in the next, you know, couple years, five years for moment? Is there anything on the table or are you kind of taking this like a month at a time? <laughs> no, no idea. No I idea, mean, right? You not really look that far. Like it's like, it's so hard just to get something launched and ship it and deliver on that. So it's kind of, kind of looking four month chunks, you know, at a high level, the, you know, the next three, four years, we want to be really good at this marketplace. So you see the moment, if you go to the shop moment site, you'll see we've got products, our products, third party products now, apps, and then travel. And so that's going to take us two or three years to be really good at just all of that. Yeah. You know, the first three, four years is learn how to make a product and find customers. And now it's like, all right, there's some customers. How do we, you know, kind of increase the size of the offering, what we have available and learn how to get more customers. Like just doing that is hard. Is, uh, is, virtual reality at all knocking on the door is that something you guys are taking in consideration or is that not really along the same you know parallel line with you guys we haven't seen a lot of that we've kind of seen just from our action camera days and the phone is that people want stuff they can buy and use like right now yeah and where you can put the content really matters so early on there was all this you know 360 video for action cameras but you could really put 360 video on youtube and so kind of look at the platform where people put their content and whatever that's supporting the device can make. So in our world, we see a lot of people still posting Instagram, YouTube, a little bit of Snapchat. We're not seeing a lot of, I'm making my own AR videos and I, I want, you know, this kind of content. And so 
that lets us be a little bit behind and just and make products people want now. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Well, is there any like any other sites or or what do you want to what do you want to have people check out? Is this uh, this new product? This is on shopmoment.com, right? Yeah, shopmoments URL or just Google Moments or you can find us on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter at Moment. Um, always looking for feedback on products and um, follow us on there or grab some of the gear. Cool. Dude, thank you so much for coming on with us, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Well, guys, thank you so much for checking out that episode of the Darkroom Podcast with Mark Barros. I had a great time chatting with him. He is really down to earth. He's a cool dude. It's wild to be able to talk to these people that I have been a big fan of for a while and see how they operate and see how they make decisions and see how they run these companies and, and just where their head's at. It's been a it's been a real treat, and I hope that it has been a treat for you guys as well. And if you think so, let us know on our reviews. Leave us some stars. Uh, just say hi to us. Hang out with us. We are always up for feedback on how to give you guys the best possible version of the Darkroom Podcast. And with that being said, thank you guys so, so much. I will see you next week.